The America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean believes the more time you spend outside together, the better. That's why they design products that make it easier to take longer walks, have deeper talks, and never worry about the weather. Discover clothing, outerwear, footwear, and gear made for every type of adventure with the outside built right in. Because on the inside, we're all outsiders. Be an outsider with L.L. Bean. It's always interesting to me that I get the question a lot like, what do bats do? But then when I work with other animals, um, you never really get like, what, what do bears do or what do wolves do? Or, you know, what do butterflies do? We often do this when we go down on the scale of body size for wildlife. We typically, they have to have a purpose or a function that benefits uh, humans. But here in a national park, these bats have just, they have the right to exist. They're a wildlife resource that belong to the people and they're a very unique and diverse resource. The National Park Service manages 84 million acres in 419 parks, one of four of which have caves, and one of three of which have mines. Many of these caves and mines provide habitat for hibernating bats. Bats are an essential part of many American ecosystems, but they're under threat from a hidden illness called white nose syndrome. Since 2006, this fungal disease has killed millions of bats in North America. In some caves and mines, 90 to 100% of bat populations have died. Parks in more than half of the United States are affected by the presence of white nose syndrome. Losing an important predator so quickly may have a drastic effect on the ecology of a given park. As the disease spreads, scientists consider the impact and potential for impact on national parks to be very high. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, bats of the greater Yellowstone area, and how National Park Service scientists are working to learn how to protect them. John Trainer, Wildlife Health Program, Yellowstone National Park. So I got involved in doing bat work, uh, I think in 2010. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a bat researcher in the east, and he told me about this strange disease, uh, a fungal disease that was killing off bats in the east. It was called white nose syndrome. It's a, a disease that has just decimated bat populations in uh, the eastern United States and Canada. Lori Hanaska Brown, non-game bureau chief, Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks. It's slowly been marching its way across the states and has been detected now as close as South Dakota and Wyoming. Uh, we know that in the eastern states, because to some extent bats hibernate there in very large, close clusters, uh, they can move this fungus or transmit it between each other pretty easily. The fungus operates in such a way that it tends to wake the bats up during the hibernation period because it's an irritant. And as they try to groom that off of themselves, they're burning a lot of calories and fat stores that they had to get them through the entire winter. What we know about bats in the Western states is pretty limited. 
So with a disease like white-nose syndrome that has killed 7 million bats in the eastern states, we kind of want to know what we had pre-disease. You get that information by looking for animals in the winter, monitoring maternity colonies, and just putting dots on a map as to where we have populations. For uh, Yellowstone's Wildlife Health Program, we had essentially no information on bats in Yellowstone. Our first objective was finding hibernacula in the park. And to do this, we started capturing bats and putting radio transmitters on those bats and then tracking them. Uh, and we did that across summer months, but the focus was if we could get transmitters on bats late in the season, like October, that would tell us whether they might be going to hibernation sites. And then we could identify these hibernacula and monitor. The Tongue River Reservoir, Montana. There's a couple different ways that you can catch bats. The most common one that's used is a mist net. So it's just like a bird mist net, which is again, a fine, very fine mesh net set up between two poles. And if they don't echolocate their way around it, they fly into it and they get all entangled. And then we can um, untangle them and, and take the measurements we need. But we did get uh, several animals in September and October, and they were not leaving the park despite really cold temperatures and very little insect prey. Once those transmitters failed and we found the roosts of these bats, we started putting out acoustic detectors and then we were recording species and we've been recording them in every month of the year uh, across the winter, even on nights where the temperatures are, are below zero. So the acoustic recorders are um, set up so that they are triggered by the echolocation calls of the bats in the frequency range that, that bats use. Once the bat makes a pass, the recording device will record the bat, then we can use that information to uh, identify the bat to a particular species. We have identified 13 bat species in the park. Um, between either mist net surveys or getting high quality echolocation calls that can be identified to a particular species. I think an important thing that people don't know about bats is how social they are. They form these large aggregations and they, they come back year after year and they're in these, it's in these building attics, these are all females. There's no males in these, these, uh, these attics when we capture these bats and they, they come back year after year, and they're very long-lived, and they have a single offspring that they put a lot of investment and care into. Austin Wagg, Yellowstone bat researcher. They have really interesting kind of roost dynamics, and a lot of times they'll, they'll flock together. And so with this project, we basically have pit tags inside the bats and then antennas throughout the entire attic. And so every time a bat flies by one of these antennas, we get the date, we get the time, um, we get the unique identification number of that bat, and then we also get what antenna it was detected on. And so we get these detections, we get up to 100 bats four times each second. Um, so we get just millions and millions and millions of detections. And you can actually see bats hanging out around the same antennas to each other, and you can actually see these kind of relationships forming. Um, so it's kind of like a fun thing that nobody's really talked about. It's like, do bats have friends? And, and you can actually kind of see these relationships. And it's like, yeah, these bats do like hanging out with each other. 
And with that information, we can identify whether um, the same individuals are coming back to the park. So are they showing fidelity? We can identify when bats in general are coming back to that roost and uh, when they are departing. So we get some sense of productivity. And this will be important if white nose syndrome hits these bats hard, we'll have, we will just won't, we'll see this data start to, to change. The misconceptions of bats are varied and many. That bats are uh, blind or blind as a bat. Bats can see pretty well. Um, some people say bats fly into people's hair. Definitely not a thing. They don't want to be in your hair or really anywhere near you. Certainly one of them is that we have vampire bats everywhere and they suck your blood, which is not true. Vampire bats are found only in South America. Um, another really common myth is that all bats you see have rabies. The numbers of bats that actually have rabies are a lot lower than people think. And I think people often think of bats as flying mice or rats with wings and they are fundamentally different. Their whole life history is it's, it's the long game versus rodents that don't live very long, have a lot of offspring, cause a lot of damage, <laughs> and they get into your stuff. State agencies are trying really hard to educate the public on bats and to make sure that that message that bats are really ecologically and economically important is out there and, and to kind of tone down that bats are scary sort of mentality. They actually serve a really important ecological purpose across the range. In the western states and in much of the United States, they're just really important to reducing insects or pest species. So a bat, even a little teeny one, can eat 4,000 mosquitoes over the course of an evening. So they're voracious little insectivores, and not only do they eat mosquitoes, which none of us really like, they also eat a lot of forest pests. It's really difficult to predict exactly what the disappearance of any species might have in terms of our livelihoods or you know what we're used to. Sometimes we don't really notice the disappearance of that species until they're gone. There are over 1,400 species of bats worldwide. Bats can be found on nearly every part of the planet except extreme deserts and polar regions. Many species can live for over 20 years if they aren't threatened by disease. And we need them to. In Montana alone, bats do the same work as $680 million worth of agricultural pest control. Spores of the fungus that causes white nose syndrome can cling to clothes, shoes, and gear and stay viable for a long time. If you're a rock climber or you visit caves and mines, it's important to clean and disinfect your clothes and gear to prevent spreading the fungus from one place to the next. Many national park caves provide soapy mats for you to walk across, and rangers will often want to know if you've visited a cave recently and are wearing the same shoes so they can help you disinfect them. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson. The interviews come from the National Park Service documentary video, Before It's Too Late, by Jessica Portuando. If you enjoyed the show, we love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America podcast. Season three is now available wherever you listen to this show. And if you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles podcast. 
You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag Be an Outsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. <laughs>